This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. St. Louis and Sue McCarthy parlayed her impoverished youth into a high-end clothing resale business. It took her from sleeping on a roll-up mattress in the park to some of the most fashionable homes in the world with a successful reality TV show along the way. She tells the story in her book, Good, Better, Best, The Rags to Riches Story of the Upscale Resale Queen. Sue McCarthy joins me in studio. Sue, so nice to see you again. Always nice to be with you, Don. You know, this idea of rags to riches is not really overstating the case, is it? It was <laughs> no. a pretty humble start. <laughs> not in my case at all. Yeah, we were very, very poor. But like I say, we never knew we were poor because everybody around us was in the similar situation. And it was after the war. So, you know, we were by no means the only people sleeping in the park. Uh, that would have been in like 1951 or 52. And um, it was um, – it, it was – impoverished, yeah. The idea of sleeping in the park, I mean, a lot of people did that during the Depression in Forest Park because it was cooler, sure, cooler in the park. Sure, absolutely. With you, it was an absolute necessity. Yeah, yeah. We, we literally had no place to sleep. And uh, I remember that was one of my very first memories ever. And it was... Um, we were we had gone to New Orleans and I, and I can still see the weeping trees, the big beautiful old trees in this park. I don't know which park, but it was a park. And my father had left us to go and find work. So and that's what he did. He would go up and down the streets knocking on doors and you know, I'll rake your yard, I'll take a dent out of your car. He could do anything. And uh, so we're in the park, and we played all afternoon, and it was wonderful. Mother cut up bologna sandwiches in the car, and we thought it was great. And uh, then the sun went down. And when the sun went down, all of the other kids started to go home. And when they started to go home, I said to my mother, I remember being very fearful, and I said to my mother, Mother, where are we going to go? Where are we going to sleep? And she said, well, she goes, they all have to go home, but we get to stay here all night long, and you'll be the first ones on the swings in the morning. And and it, it was like, it set the tone for the rest of my life. I mean, it was it was a good, positive way that she spun it. Pretty pretty smart lady. Mm, she was. How did the family pull itself out of this uh, situation? Um, you know, the family really never did. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute. <laughs> no, this part of the family obviously did. But no, I mean, we always were, um, you know, well, like my brother always said, we thought people on welfare were middle class. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, and we did not believe in charity. And my father had seven sisters. And whatever he, if he had $10, seven of it went to his sisters. I mean, he took care of his family. And so it left us with nothing on many occasions. We always had someone living with us. I had an uncle that lived with us, um, and he had, he was incarcerated at times. I'll never forget my very favorite Christmas ever was, um, I mean, we never had Christmas gifts. Whatever gifts we had was what we made ourselves. And one Christmas, Uncle Gordon went and bought us all kinds of Christmas gifts, and they were already wrapped in. It was spectacular. We'd just never had anything so nice. And so there they were, and each gift, we'd open them, and then it would be whoever. You know, Mother got a vacuum, and I remember I got a Miss America doll, and it was just spectacular. This is back here in St. Louis after New Orleans. Yes, yes. And um, so about two days later, we get a knock on the door from the detectives that he had literally robbed somebody's home <laughs> and, and stolen their gifts. And, and, you know, my only concern was, do we have to give them back? Did you? <laughs> yes, of course. Oh, gee. Well, so that was, that was kind of the way we were raised. 
One of the things this kind of an upbringing did for you, obviously, and in reading the book, which is a delight to read, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. Uh, is that it, uh, it, it caused you to grow up seizing any opportunity that came along to kind of move ahead. Absolutely. And you did some pretty unusual things oh, in yeah. this regard. Tell, tell us about some of those things. Well, I mean, you know, when I was eight years old, I remember we lived in a furnished um, room and there was an alley behind our house, and every house had a shed. And in the shed, I, I was always a leader, you know, and I always had a gang that would follow me wherever I wanted to take them. And um, across the alley from us was a candy factory. And in that candy factory, um, they would throw their candy away, you know, after a certain amount of time because it was expired. Well, I when they threw it away, I mean, they held my ankles in the dumpster and I threw the candy out and we walked up and down the streets selling the candy. We made a fortune. And I was, I could always, if it was a, one time I took used calendars from, I was always dumpster diving. <laughs> But, you know, I made money for our gang, yeah. <laughs> and so they followed me wherever I went. When I was 12, I sold um, shoes on Soulard Market. At 12 years old, I would put spike heels on and walk up and down the market hawking high heels. And, um, I mean, you know, you just have to get that image. And I was a little bitty kid anyway. Yeah. It had to be ridiculous. But people bought the shoes. I sold more shoes than anybody else. Where did you get the shoes? Well, I worked for these people that sold shoes. Oh. Uh, Danny and Prudy, and I started out at 12 years old babysitting their kids, but then they quickly saw that I was a born salesperson, so they asked if I wanted to go to the market with them, and I said, yeah, that sounds like fun. So I went to the market and sold more shoes than anybody else. You don't have much of an opportunity to be a salesperson in a funeral home, <laughs> and, you, and you wound up in one of those at some point. Exactly. Yeah, that was uh, that was an experience, um, you know, with the Me Too movement today. I mean, I I don't think I think most women of my generation had experienced that. And this particular one was I I had gone to beauty school after high school and um, you know working doing hair two dollars and fifty cents a whack, which wasn't a lot of money. And uh, so I heard about these people doing. Uh, hair in the mortuaries, and they were getting a hundred dollars. Now, a hundred dollars in nineteen sixty nine, nineteen seventy two, that was major, major money. So, I went to every funeral parlor in St. Louis until someone agreed to hire me, and if they didn't, I went back twice. So, finally, somebody hired me, and I went there, and it was, it was difficult in the beginning, you know, but I. I got through it. And so I soon became adept at it. It was a wonderful, mm -hmm. good money. And uh, so there I was, except there was this one gentleman, which I call him a gentleman. He was certainly no gentleman. Uh, but he was really into me. And I kept, I talk about nothing but my husband and my children. Mm -hmm. My husband's this big, burly iron worker, and you better leave me alone, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was the message that I sent to him. But however, I was alone in the room one night. And uh, just me and my lady, and uh, he came in, and he walked in the door, and I knew right then it was going to be trouble. So he walked in the door, and I was kind of like, oh, I'm I'm just leaving. My husband's going to pick me up any minute, and, um, you know, he's going to be here in a second, but he wasn't hearing it. So he came close to me, and when he got close, then I scooted a little bit, and then he got closer, and I scooted a little bit more. At one point, we were literally running around the dead lady. Mm. I mean, literally running around the body. And I ran out of the room, 
And I stopped at the door and said to him, I called him a bad word, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, because of you, I'm going to have to quit this good job because that was my only alternative. I couldn't tell my – my husband would have killed him. So um, I quit. I said, that's it. So I went up to see the gentleman who was uh, in charge of the mortuary, very nice man, and, and I was going to tell him. And when he he was in the office with two gentlemen, and when they came out, I said to him, oh, who was that? And he said, they're painters. They're going to paint the mortuary. And I said, really? I said, how much are they charging you? He said, $5,000. I said, I'll do it for three. <laughs> and so there started my next career, a long, phenomenal career as a woman's touch. And really, since the book came out and since I've spoken with this, yeah. so many people say, oh, you did my house. Yeah. A woman's touch was the name of the company. Was the name of the company. Gone was the fixing the hair of deceased people. I was people. done with the dead ladies. <laughs> well, you uh, the painting went on for a long time. When, yeah. When did the resale thing uh, happen? Um, there was a time, uh, I mean, you know, the painting went on and on and on, and to the point where we really had like a three-month waiting list to, for us to come. We were very all, successful. All women. All women, yeah. yeah, just women, and women like myself who had small children and, you know, were clean and respectable and honest, and so, uh, you know, we were very much in demand when you think of women being in a woman's home, so, um, and we did a lot of commercial work, too, however, um, we had a situation, um, and, and I, with my daughters, and then my sister was killed in a terrible car accident with her daughter. So I kind of inherited her daughters somewhat. And so I, I had always shopped thrift stores, um, rummage sales, yard sales. And then I heard about this thing called a consignment shop. And somebody told me, and I thought, well, I'm going to check that out. So I did. I checked out this consignment shop, and I walked in, and it really was a light went on in my life. And I thought, I know that I can do this, but I can do it better. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be dark and smelly and cluttered and disorganized and unfriendly. So I knew, and the woman was lovely, um, and she invited me to come. And Because I, I told her, I said, I, I think I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, come to work for me. I worked for her for one day. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I knew what I didn't want to do because her store was that type of a store. So um, from that space, I went on, and 30 years later, here we are. But you came up, uh, I have to take a break in a moment, but you came up with a different uh, business plan, a different business model sure. for resale. Right. Yeah, which was? Which was, um, you know, it, it, more than anything, it's finding out what people want and giving it to them mm-hmm. as simply, as honestly uh, as as possible. And it was, I found out that people wanted you to, instead of consign their items, that they wanted you to buy their items. And that was a big turning point for us. And we gave them the choice. Would you prefer to consign or would you like for us to buy it? And of course, everyone wants to walk away and be done with it and have the cash in their hand. So we, we, we paid them well. And um, we paid them on the spot, and it has been a phenomenal uh, business. And when did all of this start? This goes back? Um, uh, probably, I guess, 15 years ago, we yeah. started the buying outright. And look where you are now. It's a, a completely different kind oh. of operation now. We'll talk about that in a moment. My guest in the studio is Sue McCarthy. She is the author of the book, Good, Better, and Best. She is the resale queen here in St. Louis and perhaps the country, perhaps even the world. <laughs> Sue McCarthy will be right back. If you'd like to get into this conversation, by the way, if you have questions of Sue, give us a call at 382 that's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org or a tweet at STL on air. 
This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. our conversation with Sue McCarthy, the author of Good, Better, Best. The Woman's Closet Exchange was your first uh, entree into the uh, resale world. You had that for a number of years, and that was successful. But what you're doing now is is a totally different animal, isn't it? Tell us about the vault. Uh, Well, the vault vault luxury resale uh, truly is luxury resale. And not that we don't, uh, you know, we still sell J. Crew and Chico's and Banana Republic and, uh, you know, the uh, other labels. We're kind of a resale shop for every woman. However, now we every day buy Chanel, Louis Vuitton, and Gucci. Every single day, people drop it on our counter or ship it from out of town. And, um, we do a huge volume in luxury resale. Mm-hmm. Very profitable. Very profitable, yes. give me Give me some sense of how it works. I mean, these are all high-ticket items. You're talking oh, about yeah. bags, which, as you describe in your book, very, very popular, very, very expensive. Right. And, and you know, you have to know a Chanel bag actually holds its value better than any stock or bond. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it really does. I mean, there are many of our Chanel bags that actually sell for what they're selling for retail. Not only that, they're rare. And these heritage brands are so um, – I mean, they're just so sought after. And so, you know, many times there's a bag that you can't buy in the store, and we have it. Um, 90% of what comes into our store is literally, uh, it's in excellent condition. If it isn't in really good condition, we don't buy it. So, um, you know, we literally in our store look at a 1,000 pieces a day, every single day. And that's really from 15,000 individuals throughout the country and the world, as well as here in the metropolitan area. Give me a sense of, of what the price differential is from that Louis Vuitton bag to uh, uh, new and what you would uh, sell it for. Well, I mean, you know, the Louis Vuitton bag, it just depends on which one it is. Mm-hmm. You know, how rare is it? Um, you know, sometimes, you know, I could say many of our bags in our store right now would be sold for 50% of retail. And retail can be eight or nine thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A retail could be probably four to six thousand on the Louis Vuitton on some of them, mm-hmm. and you know we're going to sell them for you know maybe eighteen hundred. Yeah. We have one in our st- store right now for eighteen hundred, um, and it's absolutely gorgeous and brand new, right out of the box. Many people buy these beautiful heritage brands, but they're so expensive they can't enjoy them. Mm-hmm. So they they let them sit for six months and then they say, "I have to monetize this." And and they bring them to us, uh, so you know that eighteen hundred dollar bag that we have for eighteen hundred retailed at like thirty six. But you've gone uh, to to places like New York and Los Angeles and and Paris and London places oh, yeah. like that. But who are these people? Who are, are do they just need the money? You said to oh, monetize no. it. Oh, not at all, not at all. I mean, we are on the Upper East Side in New York. 
in Manhattan about every six weeks. And these people call us because they know they can deal with us, you know, with discretion, with honesty. We pay uh, very well. We deal with a lot of celebrities. And these people probably have too many things to bring in, or they're just too high end to ship. So they call us. And, you know, and once again, when you're dealing with us, you walk out, you have a check in your hand. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about consigning with huge companies. And then, you know, they're going to send your pants back to you. So, um, you know, that's exactly why, because we're easy to do business with. You don't do uh, any men's clothing, do you? We, we have started, uh, you know, my daughter, Laura, who's, you know, a label savant, uh, <laughs> she has kind of pushed to have men's. And so we have started men's accessories, and they're doing spectacular. You know, the Gucci wallet, the Louis Vuitton belt, the Gucci belt. So all um, our men's accessories have done very, very well. Right. Tell me a story or two about some of these closets that you visited. I, I can't imagine what the, the some of those closets are like. They're probably bigger than this room that we're sitting in. <laughs> yeah. But you you tell a, a number of stories. Tell us one of your favorite. Uh, oh well, my closets. favorite my favorite is obviously uh, Italy. Um, however, you know, I will say when we when we talk about doing a closet, that is when someone has contacted us and said, I have things that I would like for you to buy from me. So then they have them in a particular area or in a closet. Many people have many closets in their house, so they would have one closet and or one room. And uh, we go in and it's doot, 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 and we, here's your money, we walk out. So th- that's going to be, you know, 90% of the closets that we do. However, there's one out of that 90 that's going to be noteworthy, that it's going to be, you know, the stuff that uh, stories are made of. And that's the ones that are in the book. Um, and the one that comes to mind, my favorite, is uh, Florence, Italy. And it was just so spectacular. We're with this woman, and you know, we Diane and I fly in early. And and, your daughter, yes, yeah. We, we it's always now it's a lot the two girls, and uh, but we fly in early. We find out where we're going. It is the absolute typical um, Italian villa, just like you think it's going to be, and um, we're there knock on the door, her servants come, and she is Sophia Loren. I mean, she is absolutely stunning. But, and, but not the real Sophia No, no, Loren. no, yeah. no, no, yeah. no, no, but she, she, no, she's beautiful. We call her Sophia just to, because mm. we never really kiss and tell names. However, she's just lovely, and as lovely inside as outside, and she treats us like we're family from the United States. She is so gracious and wants to know all about us. So, you know, we just sit and have a coffee and, you know, we're there at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then, uh, you know, she asked if we'd like a, a tour of the grounds. Well, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have anything else to do. And so she gives us a tour of the grounds. And while we're out doing that, that's an hour, hour and a half. Then her servants prepare this beautiful luncheon, which she serves on the patio overlooking the Arno River. It's it, it's the best day ever. So then her sons come in, and her sons are Adonis. I mean, they're just these beautiful Italian men, and they're, like, so in love with their mother. And don't you think she's beautiful, they say to me. And and, and Diane and I are just, we're in love with these people. 
So then the day goes on and it goes into a late afternoon and, and, you know, and then we start to drink wine. And so now we have absolutely no idea why we're there. We're just having a good time with our best friend in the world. So um, we have a beautiful dinner. And, um, you know, of course, the Italians are so into the food and, you know, we're discussing everything is, you know, everything is grown right there on her property. And so it's it's spectacular. So then after dinner, we have another glass of wine. And then she leans over and kind of whispers in my ear, oh, I have a few things I would like for you to look at. And then I was like, I, you know, in my mind, I'm like, what is she talking You know, but then I'm like, oh, yes, that's why we're here. <laughs> so, so I said to Diane, that's why we're here. So. She takes this into this closet, which is magnificent. I mean, you know, we've seen the whole house, and this closet is beautiful. And um, so she takes us in and shows us. Now, now you have to know about European women by exquisite quality, but they keep it forever. So usually by the time they're done with it, it's not anything that's going to do very well on the resale market, which is really why there's not a lot of resale shops in Europe. Nothing compares to us. So, but, you know, we love Sophia. She's our best friend. So whatever she's selling, we're buying it without question. I don't care what she wants. It's the best time. A couple of glasses of wine will yes, do that sometimes. exactly, exactly. <laughs> it makes you lose uh, all inhibition. So I said to Diane, just whatever it is, we're getting it. So then we look at that, and she says, and I have another uh, room, too, that I'd like for you to look. So with that, she opens another door within her closet, which takes you to this little inner sanctum. And that's what I said about doing these people's closets. You know, we really part the curtain. I mean, nobody gets into these people's closets. And this particular one, no one had ever been in. So she takes us in there, and it's a it's set up. She's got these beautiful things displayed. They're the most beautiful things. Uh, you know, sterling silver um, cigarette case, uh, Tiffany, vintage Tiffany jewelry, um, uh, diamond bracelets, uh, just the most exquisite jewelry and uh, accoutrement that you could possibly imagine. And she said, and then there's a picture in there, and the she says, this is my grandmother. Her grandmother was a spy during World War II, and she worked with uh, the Renaissance, uh, you know, the resistance. resistance yeah. And um, so she kind of was a double. She was a Matahari of her time, and she worked with them. And so, and she was equally as beautiful. You could see obviously where Sophia had gotten her looks. And um, so they showered her with these beautiful gifts. Well, of course, she could not enjoy any of them. So. Um, she didn't um she wasn't thrilled about it so after the war she passed these things down to her daughter and then she to her daughter so um you know sophia ended up with these beautiful treasures which she could not enjoy so she only had two sons and she was so afraid that they would fall into the hands of a um you know a greedy daughter-in-law who would perhaps use them or get some you know so she said that she wanted us to help her with this terrible situation in her life. So she said, you know, can you? I said, absolutely. We gave her a price. We bought it all. She, We made the check out to the charity of her choice, and it was Veterans of the War mm. uh, because she wanted them to have it. And we took it, and um, it was spectacular. <laughs> Do you ever get stiffed by any of these people? That is oh. the counterfeit uh, goods? Oh, no, no. We don't because – 
it's our job not to be stiffed. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're pretty good at what we do. We're literally the best in the country, and many say the best in the world. So, no, it's hard to stiff us. The uh, story that I enjoyed, among many of them, one I thought was pretty interesting, is the story of Miranda. Oh. Miranda. <laughs> If you can tell that quickly, uh, Miranda was quite a piece of work. Now, Miranda was the one with the... Las Vegas. Oh, yes, the twerking for a Birkin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, because the names have been changed to protect the not-so-innocent. Yeah, you do that. We should point out that (laughs) that's one of the reasons they come to you is because you're very discreet. We're very discreet. We never kiss and tell. We do not talk about our suppliers in any way, shape, or form. But Miranda was quite interesting. Uh, We had dealt with her on many occasions in St. Louis. And, um, you know, we were sure that she was a pharmaceutical rep, a very, very successful pharmaceutical rep, because she had many exquisite pieces. And um, and she, of course, was beautiful. So uh, one time we were in Las Vegas, and um, Diane and I were flying from uh, out of Tucson, and we were in Las Vegas. So we had a layover. So we met, we run into Miranda in the airport. And she's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. She goes, I have many of my friends are here this weekend. If you could just come by, I'm sure we'd have a lot of bags for you. So I looked at Diane. I said, you go change our plans and, um, you know, reschedule us. And we're going to spend the night. And she's like, we'll take care of. Don't worry about anything. Miranda's going to really set us up. So we end up in a hotel room with Miranda and four or six of her good associates. Well, it turns out they weren't pharmaceutical reps (laughs) after all. (laughs) And they literally were escorts and um, some really, really interesting. I said, oh my gosh, for us to be a part of that. And, And it was just, they were sweet girls, educated, intelligent. It really was like you think uh, that this could be, but um, I mean, we made a haul that night, and they came in with uh, luggage racks full of Chanel bags and jewelry, and uh, it was it was quite interesting. <laughs> Why is resale so popular now? It really has caught on, largely because of your reality show. I think I think so too. Yeah. I really do think that we've had a huge impact. I mean, I hear that every day from people. I never knew about a resale shop mm. until the reality show. And when they saw that, then they would try a shop in their area, which is what we want. We want people to shop mm-hmm. and, and sell resale. And and especially locally, we want you to deal locally. That's very important to us. And uh, so anyway, I think um, it just makes so much sense. Why would you pay $5,000 for a handbag mm-hmm. or even $50 for a top and then just throw it in a charity bin somewhere when you could monetize it? Some people might think that it's dri- driven by the economy. When times are tough, people are unloading you know, things that they can get a buck for. I, I think that that maybe is some of it, but I, I don't see that our clients are in need of money as much as they have paid a lot for their items and uh, they just would like to monetize it as opposed to have it in a landfill somewhere. And I suppose a lot of these celebrities can only be seen once in a particular dress, oh. and, and that's one of the reasons... They give them up. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is. And I mean, my my daughters, you know, we're, uh, Diane and Laura are in so many social events here in St. Louis and myself. And so we can't wear the same thing twice. And we're not even famous. I always say we're a little bit (laughs) famish. But uh, yes, that's true. And, you know, it's good to uh, monetize that where even if they don't need the money, they can pass it on to a charity. 
Is there going to be a movie? I've heard rumors to the oh. effect that this book might be uh, on the big screen at some point. Yeah, well, I'm glad you said that because I truly believe it because when you read the book, you see the movie. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, we, we call it lady porn. It is absolutely a movie. Lady porn. <laughs> lady porn. I want to be sure that everybody got that. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it, it's just, as I wrote it, uh, you know, I mean, I would write the book in longhand and then turn it over to my editor who was spectacular, who really completed the book. And then when I would get it back to read it, I would be like, oh, my God, this is so – because you don't hear it when you're writing it. You know, it, it's a good read for men, too. I mean, oh, I, sure. Enough of a voyeur, I, I am, to really be uh, curious about uh, how the other half lives and go into those closets and oh, see yeah. what they've got. Oh, yeah. What a fascinating time. Yes, it really it, – it is. Our daily life is fascinating. Yeah. Well, Sue McCarthy, <laughs> congratulations on the book. We'll look uh, forward to the movie. The book is titled Good, Better, Best, The Rags to Riches Story of the Upscale Resale Queen. <laughs> Queen Sue, it's been great seeing you again. Thank Good you, luck. Don. Always a pleasure to be with you, and I can't wait to read your beautiful book. I can't wait for you to. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll compare notes. Thank you. Thanks, Sue. <laughs> 